from 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through the water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him. It's uh, always good to be able to uh, open God's Word on Easter Sunday and, and preach it. Uh, welcome to those who are with us. I haven't introduced myself. My name's Glenn, one of the pastors here. Good to see um, people visiting us, family and friends amongst us. So great to have you with us uh, this morning as we uh, celebrate Easter Sunday, uh, Jesus coming alive and offering us life. It's good. So as I said in uh, the kids' talk, um, the best predictor of future behaviour is past behaviour. If someone proves themselves to be trustworthy, uh, you end up trusting them. Um, and that's a little bit what we've been uh, talking about over the last um, number of months preaching here that ultimately this is true particularly with God, that God is perfect and he doesn't make mistakes. And so God's fulfilment of uh, promises means that we can actually trust him for the future. 
It's sort of the premise of the Bible. She says, here, I've shown you that I've kept all these promises all right through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we now um, are seeing them come true now even. And so we can be a people that trust in the promises of God, trust in the promise that Jesus made when he left this earth that he was going to come back again. Trust in the promise that Jesus gave us that he would never leave us alone and that he would always be with us, that he would give us his Holy Spirit. Uh, so this uh, Easter theme, we're following um, the promise theme, which has flowed out of uh, faithful to the promise, which we've been preaching through the last uh, couple of months. And we have seen that God is faithful. And here's the, the beautiful thing that we've seen, particularly over the last few months. God is faithful, particularly when his people are not. And we see it right through the Bible. We see it through history. We see it in this church. <laughs> that God is faithful even when his people are not. So God's um, desire to come back again, God's ability to be with us through his Holy Spirit, the God, um, God's nature to want to love and to embrace all who turn to him um, are not dependent on how we behave. I hope you've heard that. It's not dependent on how we behave. It is dependent on what we believe. If you don't believe that is true, it can't be true for you. But if what we believe is true, then God's faithfulness to his promise is not dependent on our behaviour, but it's dependent on his nature, and his nature is love. And we've seen it proven again when we remember Easter, that he so loved the world that he sent his son, that Jesus so loved you that he was willing to, to be flogged, mocked, spat on, put on a cross and die in your place so that you would have life again. That Jesus promised that he wasn't just a man came true on this day a couple of thousand years ago when he rose again and showed that he was God. And he defeated death. We've seen that God promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph that he would one day give them a land and uh, a people, a promised land, we hear that. And he said there that I will be your God and you will be my people. He promised them that those people would one day outnumber the stars in the sky or the sand on the shore of the sea. And we start to see, as we go through the Bible, that this promise to God is much bigger than the promises that he just makes to those individuals. That this promise, as we've been looking at, continues to us today. That we become part of this promise. We become one of those uh, stars in the sky as we put our faith in Jesus and are identified as God's sons and daughters, as his people. The Bible records this plan and it records these promises uh, and it also records the history of those promises being fulfilled, just as the kids were saying. God promised that the earth wouldn't be flooded, and it's, it's not. God promised that he would send someone, and he did. God promised that um, he would, or Jesus promised that he'd rise again, and he did. And so I think uh, this morning as I've been thinking about this Easter uh, message and uh, about this idea of the promise, 
um, if we go to the next slide, we're sort of, I want to f- flow um, out of this idea that God um, is, that Easter, we remember promises that have been fulfilled and we also start to think about promises that have been given and we actually bring those two together at Easter. And I think in order to know um, and understand the extent of the Easter story, um, we also need to know the whole story of God. And I, I just kept sort of feeling lent to or led towards that today. And so that's why I just want to spend some time this morning exploring that whole story of God and, and knowing where Easter plugs into that. Because I think it makes it a richer and greater understanding of how this story works. Many people break this story into four parts. Uh, we've got four words up there, creation, fall, redemption and restoration. Uh, they're big words, lots of words that end in shun, if you know Colin. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'm going to explain them a little bit as we go through. But these, for me, give a bit of a framework as to the, the whole story of God. Uh, it's history and how um, God has uh, worked in it and how Easter fulfills uh, a lot of this. So we're just going to go through it. So creation, starting with creation. Sorry, Caleb, I use some dodgy font, so that's why it's all out of whack and I forgot to embed the font. So it's probably going to be a bit messy, but anyway. Creation, here we go. You've got to understand Easter in light of what Jim read for us, that there is a God who made the heavens and earth. And that's the claim of Christianity, it's the claim of the Bible, that um, the earth was not just um, a mistake or a chance, but it was intentionally created and designed by a creator God who is outside of time and space and by his word spoke it into being. That Christians believe um, that the Bible records uh, this history right through. Uh, If you know the Bible, it's sort of 66 books. It's got about 40 authors written over about, I don't know, a couple of thousand years probably. Um, And this story uh, is recorded in here for us to know about. And at the peak of God's creation, as if you remember any of the creation story, that he creates the, the world and the universe, and at the peak of God's creation is humanity. He puts man and woman on the earth, Adam and Eve. And they, it says, if you read through that story account, they are at the peak of his creation. They are the ones who actually are created in his image. So this Easter, when we remember what Jesus has done, we remember that we as his people have actually been created in his image. And a lot of that actually means that we can actually have a relationship with him. So the God who knows the number of the stars, who puts them all in their place, knows that the universes and the extent of it all, says, I'm also a God that you can have a personal relationship with. I showed you that back in creation. When, if you remember back there, God walks with Adam and Eve through the garden. And he says, this is the way it's meant to be. God and people living on the earth together in perfection. And in that, in that time and space, God gives uh, humanity the responsibility to look after the world, to care for it, to watch over it, to uh, nurture it. And that God and his people to look after the earth, live together in perfection forever. That's the picture that God gives us. This picture of an awesome, powerful, mighty God that wants a close, personal relationship with every one 
of his beings that have been created in his image. That's another part of the big picture. The second one is the fall because we know the world is not like that anymore. It's gone wrong. And there's only really one promise that God makes in the garden that's recorded. And it's only one promise, and the promise is there for the beginning, and the promise is to Adam and Eve that if you eat from that tree, you will die. You'll be separated from me, and things will be over. And so we read in the story that, um, that humanity breaks the promise. They don't keep their side of the bargain. Adam and Eve eat from the fruit. And it, it shows us a little bit that people are not just robots created by God, that, but he actually gives us a free will to choose to obey him and to live in faith with him. And the backstory of that, the backstory is a spiritual reality, right? The other way, also through the Bible, we get the idea, or we are told that there is a spiritual reality at work. There are angels and demons at work, that God also created them, and that um, angels rebelled against God and they were sent to the earth and Satan who was the leader of the angels the re- of the um, rebellious angels the demons uh, is now involved in the earth and is on the earth and so he then comes to Adam and Eve and he tempts the people away from God and because he's in rebellion to God he is uh, trying to keep call people away from God And humanity side with him. <laughs> and they rebel against God and they go their own way. And God is faithful to his promise. The consequences of sin is death, separation from God. Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. But here's the interesting thing, and things start to change here already. Adam and Eve don't die just yet, do they? Something died in place of them. As they are led out of the garden, they are clothed in animal skins and an animal had to die. (laughs) And here, I think we talked about it, the the scarlet thread that starts to go through the Bible, that uh, there is a plan in place that something has to die to meet the consequences of those promises that God had made. And at Easter, we get to see that in its fullness. We get to see Jesus in that place. And as that fallenness enters the world, it explains a lot about the world that we live in. Because as sin enters the world and evil comes in the world, uh, God curses the world that there is actually suffering, pain, hardship, turmoil that come as part of those consequences. There, there is spiritual uh, evil at work in the world. There is brokenness in relationship with people. They start killing each other and hurting each other. There is brokenness in marriage and family. There is brokenness in between the relationship between God and his people. They, have, they start to hide now from him. They start to run away from him. And in this mess, in this mess, in the first few chapters as this is unfolding, God makes another promise. In that place, he makes a promise that he's going to send one who will crush evil, crush the head of evil, and that evil will bite 
that one's heel. The battle between good and evil is put into place. And as you read through the Old Testament, if you've read through that, if you, that continues on until we know who the one was that crushed Satan's head. At Easter, we know that Jesus came and he defeated Satan by taking the punishment upon himself, suffering the death that should have been back then so that we can have life. And then the redemption story, which already starts way back there, is the one that we live in now. This is the part of the story that we're in now. It started way back then already and it's still being lived out now. And God's saving plan, God's promise to restore his people back to what it should have been is being enacted through the Old Testament and now through the New Testament and in our lives today. That God is faithful to his promise. And he makes promises to lots of people along the way. We've travelled through some of them. We've even Noah this morning, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even Moses. There's a promise that the one is going to come. The one is going to come. The one is going to come. The Messiah is going to come and it's going to be, uh, and we're going to be restored again. The people of God looking forward to their Messiah King. And then we get into the New Testament as this uh, redemption story um, unfolds. And the idea of redemption, the word redemption, is to buy back. And there's a sense that um, something, you know, when you redeem a voucher, you actually, you sort of someone you had to pay for that voucher and then you, you get that for free. And so along this promise, we know that death still has to be paid. Separation from God still has to be paid. And at Easter, we, re- we see that in its fullness. We see Jesus suffering hell on the cross. We see Jesus suffering death there so that we may be redeemed. The price was paid for our sin so that we might be free and right with God. And the redemption story continues through Jesus, the God-man, who is the ultimate fulfillment of so many promises along the way. I think Andrew touched on some of those on Friday. He becomes the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. He had to be fully human and fully God to meet that promise. That's who he showed himself to be. But this is where it takes, the story takes a little bit of a twist. And those who'd been reading it up to now weren't expecting this to happen. Because they were expecting when the Messiah came, it would be all restored. But there's a twist. Instead of finishing there, God says, my promise yet is not yet fulfilled. And God's promise to build that people that are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore is going to continue that not yet all have been gathered, not yet all have been believed, that as Jesus rose from the dead and brought victory, that he crushed Satan, he made a promise that this, his work would continue through the church, through the people. And he said, the only reason I'm stopping this now, the only, sorry, the only reason I'm not bringing this to completion now is what Jim read. And did you, read, did you get the significance of what Jim read? The only reason that Jesus has not yet come back, he says, is I'm still wanting more to be saved. I'm still wanting more to join me in that perfect restoration that's coming. When I come back, I'm just, that's what I'm waiting for. And I, he said, I've, I've, I've got actually my people who are actually on my task and on my mission out there doing it. 
And as, as Jim read too, he said, in light of that, if you believe that, then live such good lives that display this story, that tell this story in action and words. And Jesus makes those promises as he leaves us, and I think it's good for us to think about this at ease. He promises that he wouldn't leave us alone, as I alluded to earlier, that we would have his spirit. And the Spirit would actually give us the power to live in this world, the power to see who He is and the power to have hope and joy in a world that's pretty messed up. We actually have power to confront evil. So as Jesus' victory, He says, now I give that to you. So you have the power to confront evil. You have the power to confront injustice. You have the power to uh, step into suffering and pain and bring hope and joy and peace as you serve and stand as my people in that place. He promised that he would continue to build the church and the gates of hell wouldn't stand against it. And the Bible tells us that in these, these last times between Jesus leaving and coming back, that Satan is like a wounded lion. It's like, uh, I think I've used that language before, that the war has been won, the enemy's been defeated, but there's mopping up exercises going on. Satan has no place of victory over that, but there's still those mopping up exercises that are going on. There's still pain, there's still suffering, there's still hurt that are in this world. And then Jesus promises, the kids so rightly nailed, he promised that he would come back again. And it's interesting, didn't he? When he left his disciples, he said, I'm going to come back again, but in the meantime, I'm preparing a place for you. And that place has got many rooms and I wanted those rooms to be filled because when we get to the last section, which we get to now, um, restoration, the, the Bible gives us a picture. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, gives us a picture of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back again and he brings in a new heaven and a new earth, um, the picture we get there that it now is a great and mighty city. It's moved from a garden to a city. And even the pictures we get there is still some of that garden picture. There's still trees and there's a river of life that flows through it. And in that city, it's, it's a massive city and it's full of God's people. And in that place, God lives with his people again. And in that place, it says, in this place, there will be no more sin, no more suffering, no more hardship, no more pain, no more death, no more evil. When I come back again... I'm going to bring heaven to earth and I'm going to restore it back. And what's he going to rest or restore it back to? The beginning. That's, that's where it goes back to. And so the last picture we get in the Bible is God and his people walking together now in a city. <laughs> and now there's as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the shore living with God in perfection in that place. And Jesus promised too that as he would come, he would also bring final judgment. And God, all the way through the Bible, has promised that he would be a just God. That people that commit evil, that do horrible things, will be brought to justice. And that justice is either going to be dealt with Jesus on a cross, in terms of them saying, sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that, and, and I repent, and I turn back to you, Jesus, and he deals with that punishment on the cross. Or he says you will die and you'll be cast out of my place, presence and you won't have a place in heaven. And so he says 
to us, and as Jim read in this place, he says, while now I'm still coming, he says, repent and believe this. Join me in this place that I'm preparing for you. Don't forget me. Don't wander away from me. Don't be tempted by the world and the Satan, but follow me. Believe me. And as I've said to you many times, this, this is the thing that distinguishes Christianity from every other worldview is Easter. And it's, I've said it to you numerous times, it's the difference between do versus done. Every other worldview, it's what you do to make yourself better with a deity, <laughs> with a God, or even a capitalist thing. The more you, d you do, humanist, the more you do, the better you get. Everything, every other worldview is you've got to do. And the only one that is different to that is Christianity, where it says, at Easter, Jesus did it for us. He's done it for us. He paid the price for us. He's made a way that we can be right with God. And you notice, there's nothing that we have to do in order to get that. The only thing is, we've just got to believe that it's true. And if you believe it's true, God says it's yours. Take it. And so this Easter, as we look to that cross and we think again that he offers us life, he says, believe that this is true. Believe me and join me in that place when I come back again. So this Easter, when you look at the cross and you think about it, hopefully you can also believe and trust that God is going to fulfill his promise. The last words in the Bible that Jesus says is, behold, I'm coming soon. And we pray and long for that day. But it will only happen when all have been gathered in. And so today, Jesus says, it's the day to believe. Today is the day to trust me, to put your faith in me. And so I hope that these four words that I've just had, creation, where are we? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, actually become your identity. And they actually become your story. If you believe who Jesus said he was, they become your story you believe that you are not just an accident, that God has created you in his, in his image, that you're a child of God. That changes your identity. That changes everything. That changes the way you work, eat, play, everything. If you recognize that actually I have sinned and rebelled against God, he says, now come back to me. It, make, it helps us, the fall helps us understand the mess in this world. It gives us a lot of other worldviews, and, and humanism particularly, has no answer for good and evil. The Christian story gives you a great answer for good and evil. It tells you what's happening in the world. Redemption, there's this story that he says that you can be part of this. It's a free gift to you, to all who would believe. And this redemption story is continuing on, and I'm holding off. That's what he says, I'm holding off until all have come to salvation in me all who would believe in me. And the restoration is that one day you'll live in perfection with God forever, with his people in that place. So I pray that this Easter, that this story will become your story. It'll become a story, um, particularly, and you know, you know, I say this all the time, as recipients of the Holy Spirit, it'll become a story of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. 
that becomes how we live amongst the mess of this world with a hope of a future and a reality of a kingdom that's already working in us in this place and through us we are thankful that God has fulfilled so many promises already and we are hopeful and expectant of the promises that he's going to continue to fulfill in the future. Let's pray.